Hello, this is me. Perfect. Having a good time. You're awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we did it after a day of trials and tribulations. Tri- and both at the same time. I'm not even really sure what a tribulation is. I think it's one of those furry things on Star Trek that drops out of the vents. Right. I think that's tribble. That's tribbles. Oh, oh, oh then so I don't. Tribulation is um, a thing that's caused by them. By oh, those. yeah. Like I if they're internal. Oh, yeah. that would be bad. Yeah. I had a cat that used to get those. In- internal tribulations. And then well, they... I mean, they look like those. Yeah, I know. And then they cough them up on the, on the, on the porch, wet. and they don't look like that at all. They just look. You never see a wet tribble. No, you, well, you're not supposed to get them wet, I don't think. Or I think that's can... no, that's gremlins, pretty sure. Okay, well, this is conf- yeah, this is already confusing. Yeah, see, this is the kind of day we've been having. So you you start with with what I'll happened start with today with your day. Yeah. Well, this was a day where we were meant to be together. <laughs> <laughs> you had the last time I was in town, you had suggested that we go to a Giants game, and yeah. I believed that it was going to happen. And I had bought tickets. Two times. And it turned out that they were for a game. That it was, was the wrong day. I think it's totally time for you to have a beer if you'd like to go for it. Well, hello, ladies and ladies and gentlemen. It's episode 100, 100 of the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast. Surprise, hello. It's not a surprise. I've been counting these the whole time. I know you know that this is episode 100. If you've listened to any of the last episodes and been keeping track, then you could have counted that up. But I'm excited about it, and I'd like for you... Let's have some cake right now. Just hit pause, go get some cake. Mmm, delicious. Thank you for uh, listening. My guest today, that you heard a little bit of him at the beginning, is Christopher Moore, author, author guy, the author guy, I think, as he is known on Twitter. Oh, my God, there's a bug on my arm. Uh, and sadly, I've just committed murder here on the podcast. I killed that bug, but uh, it is indoors. I am indoors right now, and I feel like I'm allowed to kill insects when I'm indoors. Um, Christopher Moore, who is on tour right now. Actually, you know, we had this conversation in April, and he may be already done touring around for his book. And if I went on the Internet, I could possibly look and see where he was touring for his latest book, but his latest book is called, I'm just waiting for it to come up on my internet web, Christopher Moore, The Serpent Serpent of Venice. The Serpent of Venice. You may remember a uh, William Shakespeare play called The Merchant of Venice. Well, this is about The Serpent of Venice. He talks a little bit about that today on the podcast. We talk about some other things. We had quite a morning. He lives in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was going up there to do a gig, which I did, and he came to. But we I, we made a plan that we were going to go to a baseball game the day that I flew up, and he had bought the tickets. My flight was delayed. He lost his wallet. It, I, I think I've edited some of the story of all of that out, but we do refer to that in the part of the conversation that you're going to hear. He lost his wallet. He had to can these canceling credit cards. He waited for me in the lobby of my hotel. By the time we, because my flight was delayed, I was supposed to get in in plenty of time to see all of the game, and instead we got there at the bottom of the fifth inning, and we saw a lovely three and a half innings of a baseball game, which is not enough. But uh, the Giants Stadium is beautiful. The company was superb, and then we had this conversation. Chris was kind enough 
to talk to me for my podcast, but he is because because he is I say kind enough because he's quite successful. He's got better things to do, really, and don't we all? But we've taken time out of our lives to be together, and that's what he did, and that's what you're doing. And so we're going to get on with that conversation that I had with Chris in just a moment, right after I remind you. If you would like to come see me at a show, as my friend Christopher Moore did, then you know what you can do? Go to my website, jakethis.com, and you can see where I'm going. I'm going to be up in uh, Port Angeles, Washington, and then in Tacoma, the Tacoma Comedy Club. You can check those out. I've got a lot of other places that I'm coming, but I can't remember them, and I've already got my web web viewer thing. Is look, You know, we don't have time for me to go on the internet I, you know i could have done this before i turned on the machine to start the podcast but i didn't i was in a big hurry i'm in a big hurry to finish episode 100 get on with episode 101 but that's only because i've already heard this conversation that i had with chris which you haven't heard yet and once you hear it you'll be in a hurry too to get on with the rest of your life possibly i hope so that's my wish for you my wish for you is that you will be reinvigorated in all your goals and and passions after listening to this episode in fact, I'm starting to feel that way just talking about it right now. I'm starting to feel like, man, I am going to get busy when I'm done uh, listening to this. I'm going to listen to it again. What else can I tell you? I had a great time in Kilkenny, Ireland. That I'm going to talk about that next week in my reinvigoration and reimagination of both myself and you and this podcast and the universe because it was one of those kind of experiences. It was like taking a strong hallucinogenic drug that puts you back in touch with what you love about yourself and other people. That's that's what my trip to Kilkenny for the Sky Cats Laugh Festival did for me. I had such a great time. But I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about that next week. We're already a little ways into this thing. So allow me to say, here we go. And then we get to the game, and I've never had, I've only once ever had seats that good, and I was with my wife who really knows her way around the stadium because she's Mm -hmm. a a gamer babe for the Giants. Yes. And so she just led me where I needed to go. Well, I was basically, we were like, we were like Spinal Tap backstage in Cleveland. We had to go down to the front and then through a door to the basement and then back out to get to where we were three rows behind the Giants dugout. It was outrageous where we were sitting. Yeah. And it only made me feel for a moment even retro. I went back in time to feel worse about being late when we first sat down. And then I realized, no, this is stupid. No. You, do I, and see, I, on the other hand, was looking forward to saying, look, we have got four, three innings of mm-hmm. seats where usually, you know, it's Hugh Jackman sitting. You know, that kind of shit. And let's not forget the part of the game that we won that we watched, the Giants won one nothing. Yeah, exactly. Overall, the score was two to one, and the Giants lost. But the part that we watched, and they, and they won the series against the hated Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you had wisely worn a Giants hat because, so I didn't have to like send your wife an envelope of your flesh strips. <laughs> well, I used to live up here, but let's not forget. I don't think that that San Francisco fans, they don't even yell at the 
L.A. fans. They may give give them a hard time, but they don't. They don't. No. It's not like in Los Angeles. I didn't. A Giants fan got killed last year. Who right? got one, got beat within an inch of his life? Yeah. yeah. That's not. Yeah. That's not baseball. That's no, not no, no. And also, it was a day game. And there's a big difference between today people's. was a day game. We were at a day game. Um, where you're going to get in trouble is in the neighborhood after a night game when everybody's already had as much beer as they can possibly consume. Mm-hmm. And we're not. We weren't. You're right. Giants fans are, are pretty cool, but they do hate the Dodgers. Yeah. 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 And I, I have a hard time getting on board uh, with that whole thing because I just. I know. sort of feel like he, I, yeah, I like the Giants, but I don't need to hate another team. Exactly. I can't get down with exactly. that. Exactly. I don't, I don't need to. I like it when they beat the Dodgers, but I like it because the Dodgers pay their guys so much money. Mm-hmm. That's, I, there's just a, some, there's some satisfaction in just like the, you know, I don't hate the Yankees, but I love when people beat them. You know, <laughs> that's what with that whole story that I was telling earlier on the way over here about my daughter being into the Percy Jackson books mm-hmm. was about she wants a Yankee cap because one of the kids in the Percy Jackson ah. book has a Yankee cap that makes her invisible. So my daughter wants one. Oh, well, that's a good, you know, yeah. th- that, you Fair should make enough. that happen. I have a I, I have a giant yarmulke. No way. I do. They don't make those. I do. I, I have it. I will. I will. Po- I will post a picture on Twitter of my giant yarmulke. Okay. And the last game I was at, not the last, like two games ago I was at, I go about 10 games a year, but I, this year people have been giving me tickets mm-hmm. because they feel sorry for me. You're a modern, uh, modern day comedic genius. Is that right? Yeah, they don't say that when they give me the tickets. They're like, are you doing anything Thursday? And I'm like, we know you don't work. We, don't, we know you don't have a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, our, we're going to earn a million dollars. That's today. exactly it. And maybe, maybe yeah. you, Mr. Borderline Homeless Guy, exactly. would like to enjoy these. Exactly. We know it's the same guys that go, well, you can go to lunch on Friday. You don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Those are the same guys that are now giving me um, ball tickets, and I'm fine with that. My dentist gave me two tickets. My dentist. That I'm, to- I'm so conflicted about that I can't even tell you. Because now, a guy who I have dreaded, not personally, but because of what he does, now has given me, you know, tickets to a ball game. I do not like the dentist. I'll just be honest with you. And I think it seems like you're saying the same thing. But you write books about scary things. Yeah. And, uh, well, I don't... I, I, don't... I just find the dentist is a real-life... My dentist is very nice, but I just, even to get my teeth cleaned, I don't like it. It's always like, oh, God, i got to go do that. Well, you know, I, I, I think I have found the, um, the getting your teeth cleaned. See, you live in, in, in the greater Los Angeles area. Yes. So you have to drive to your dentist. Well, I could ride my bike to my dentist. It's close enough. Okay. He's close here's, enough. Here's the it's key. close enough. I have here's a dentist the, here's, that's an entity. Here's the key to deal with, because my dentist is one of these, no, you've got to get them cleaned every three months, and I'll go, like, no, every four. But I know you're hardballing him for that extra three months a year. Yeah, well, yeah. No, you, believe who, me, know, in, no. who knows how good the ball tickets would have been? I'm in the same way, but I think this is something that they teach them at dental school nowadays. Like, tell them, you know, look, if you've got somebody that you know has got money, Tell them that they've got something special with their tartar situation, that they have to get their teeth cleaned every three months instead of six months because otherwise they're flirting with disaster. Let me – and the other thing is I have conditions now because I know they know I'll pay them, you know. Who doesn't have – oh, you have conditions. I, I have – they're say. like she – you know, because I'll go out and, and the lady in the front who's lovely named Connie, she says, can I make you an appointment for your next cleaning? And I'll go on one condition. She goes, what's that? And I go, Rachel can't yell at me because I haven't flossed enough. 
No shit. I said to the temp, I yeah. said, look, I'm 50 years old. I'm doing the best I can. You can't. I'm paying you to clean my teeth every three months. You got to just get on board that I'm doing the best I can yeah. and put right down in your little folder. Yeah. I don't need that floss lecture again. I've, yeah. I've heard it. I've got it. Right. I know what you're going right. to say. Right. I can give it to you, but you can't yeah. tell me that anymore. Right. Right. That and that's my condition. It's like, and I'll walk in and I adore the lady that cu- cleans my teeth, mm-hmm. but I'll go, Rachel, you can't scold me. And she's yeah. like, I'm not here to scold you. Then what is that plastic tooth doing in here? Yeah, that's all I'm saying. So, I had I had a dental hygienist in in I had a dental hygienist in Hawaii because I moved from Hawaii like six years ago, I and I walked some in. Some really great place. San Francisco is a great place. So I can't say why would you leave Hawaii to move to San Francisco, but they're just cow. different kinds of great places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was North Shore of Kauai. It was like woo, um, but. I walk into my dentist. I had the same dentist as um, Murakami, the author. In Hawaii? In Hawaii. He, li- he lives part of the year in Kauai. He's the... He's the uh, what's he's going to win a Nobel Prize. Kafka on the beach, that guy. Yeah, the wind-up bird or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, and yeah. my thing. daughter loves those movies. Yeah. No, no, not that guy. Not that guy? No, this guy writes weird Hang sort on of a second. jazz-based... Um, Metafiction. He's going to win a Nobel Prize before we're out of this. Brilliant guy, but I mean, you know, I'm modern, modern comic day gen- surreal genius. Yeah, and I'm a modern day comic genius. So, well, but I wasn't. It then. makes sense that you guys would live next to. So somebody. anyway, I go in and there's this really slight lady, about fifty, with with like she's never cut her hair, kind of lady. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of lady, like like yeah. she might have had a pilgrim dress, but she had her smock on that day. That kind of lady, mm-hmm. and she's got a voice in her name. And I don't care we saying we're saying this on the internet. Her name is Dorothy Pickles, and Dorothy. <laughs> and, Come on, you write books. No, I wish. So I wish. Making up no, I, names. I, I honestly, her name is Dorothy Pickles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you don't believe me, but I have no reason to lie to you. And Dorothy says in her in her you know. Seventh Day Adventist voice or whatever, with, and she has the enormous glasses that mm-hmm. are now featured on the Americans because they came out in ni- they were popular in 1984. Anyway, and she says, "Well, you're going to need to floss more." And I said, "Well, yeah, I know." I, Who and, is Dorothy Pickles to be telling you that? I'm not even done. She says, "Well, you know, they found that the bacteria that collects in your teeth for those people who don't floss will eventually go into your heart and kill you. I've heard there's a correlation, but not the same. And she says, so I'll be your friend, which frightened me in the first place, and I'll clean your teeth, but unless you floss, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to save your life. Swear to God, that was my first visit to the dentist in Hawaii, and I'm like, Holy well, crap, shit. She's working for this miracle. What's his name? No, she was that. That was no. That's she was. Uh, uh, he was another patient. I was just like, you know, it's like going, hey. I no, no, I get he was another patient of your dentist, but this sounds like a surreal. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Book. And you know, and the weirdest thing, the guy I'm who not came sure in, I can say this your is life. the part that you wouldn't believe. This isn't the part that I wouldn't believe. The next guy in. His last was Mr. Dill. I don't believe that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I don't believe that. I totally wouldn't either. That's like earlier today at the game when you told me last year this guy killed Hunter Pence killed, killed, killed a guy, guy with a home run. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and was I, just because it made the story better. I couldn't. 
I I was like, did that really happen? That doesn't seem like it could happen. And you told me like three times that it happened before you admitted that it didn't happen. So how many times do I have to ask you? Was Mr. Dill the patient after me with Dorothy Pickles? Yeah. It really happened, but I don't, you know, if you don't want to believe it, then that's who you have to be. Yeah, now who's the surreal comic genius yeah, that's of all I'm modern saying. times? So, anyway, what were we ta- so we went to the ball game. Yes. And, and, we, and, we, and we saw a, a, a very respectable three innings of baseball. It was good. The Giants won the three innings that we watched. It was very exciting. The winning run was on first base when the game ended. And the, the, uh, and the park, it, the weather was lovely. The park was beautiful. We had awesome seats. We could smell the sweat of the players. The worst day at the ballpark is better than the best day in prison. That is, which I didn't even know was on the menu, but the either, way but things are going, I just wanted to yeah. make sure I could say something yeah, that everyone no, would agree with. Right, that, yes, because we were losing our audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, that could have already, I don't know how, there's no way to know how much of these that everyone listens to, but I just want you, if you are still listening, to realize that I'm here till the end of all of them, so you're not yeah. alone. You're not alone. Yeah, you're not suffering by yourself. You're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. Thank you. That people need to know that. I for no, those I feel of you, like that's the whole point of podcasting is yeah. people people are listening to these so they they don't feel alone. They're like, yeah, I could turn on my radio, but those people aren't really talking to me. We're no, we know you're out there. Look, I, this isn't just something that uh, I'm doing as a hobby. We're in an actual hotel lobby with a noisy espresso machine and a vacuum cleaner from the future. Right. There's like an inter- that's an entertainment thing. Like you know, as a comedian, you've been doing battle your entire life with blender drinks, right? Yes, the blender. Now finally, they have those little cabinets, silence cabinets. They right. finally figured out like we could put the we can build a phone booth around the blender so that the blender can right. live, even though the bar is right. in the room. Right. The blender is in that little right. box. Well, see, as an author on book tour, I've been dealing, I've been battling with espresso machines my entire life. Is that right? Yeah. Now it's gotten better because most of the independent bookstores that are that size have closed down. <laughs> so if there is oh. an espresso machine, it's in a different wing than I'm speaking in. But for years, it was like, hey, look, you need to back off making the cappuccinos while I'm trying to speak publicly. And mm-hmm. But, you know, I never said that. I just was I resentful. I looked resentfully toward the— You just gave him a stern, the, firm yeah. look. Yeah. Yeah, I had my my barista stare, I like to call it. I feel like I've been doing stand-up long enough that I can't really get mad at the bartender for doing the blender anymore. It's like it's part of the job. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if you don't have, if you can't do thirty minutes of blender jokes, you really shouldn't be in the business. Well, if I had to, if I had to, I mean, I would prefer that they wait until a moment of the show where everybody is yeah. laughing to turn the blender on. But you're getting ready for you. Oh, this is. I feel like a real. I feel like I'm hosting we're, a real show of talking. We're, now. We're, we're really plugging something. Yeah. So you're getting ready to go on a book tour for your book. I am. I start next Tuesday, which will be the 22nd of April, as as we speak. Um, yeah, that's, to, so that may have already begun. By the time this comes, right? But out. I won't be. I'll still be in San Francisco the twenty second of April. So anybody that matters is probably not. They're you know. still out on the road, so they should check your. Is it a website? Do you yeah, have just website? go chrismore.com. Chrismore.com. So you're oh, traveling sorry. to tour. You're touring to support your latest book, which is called The Serpent of Venice. The Serpent of Venice, and yeah. that's not Venice Beach, California, near where I live. No, that is Venice, um, Italy, in the thirteenth century. That's when it was nice. Right? Yeah. Was it underwater then? Venice has always it's been. It's always been underwater. The, yeah. the, the, the thing about Venice, I, I feel like I'm on Jackie 
cash-ins uh, thing where you have to hold. She told me if I come on, I have to hold forth about something. Did you and go like, on her podcast? No, because I don't you know how to hold on. forth. I went on last year, and I talked about New Orleans, where I'm about to go next week. Yeah. And it came out one year ago as I was about to go on New Orleans. So you could go on. to You listen to Jackie's podcast, The Dork Force, yeah. my episode, because I just talked about something that I really enjoyed. Right. And once you get going, you'd be surprised how right. how excited and, you know, at first you feel like, oh, geez, I'm loading right. it and who gives a shit? And then once she, she gives a shit, that's the answer. She gives a shit. So once you start talking and she draws you right. out, you're going to be, it's going to be, right. she's going to say, okay, well, that's it. And you're going right. to feel like, well, no, I haven't told, I got to have right. more stuff. Right. So, so, so Venice, how Venice came to happen was there were all these guys coming into Northern Italy, which, you know, it, uh, Tuscany, they were mm-hmm. the, and, and there were people invading and it wasn't until the Hunt, but it was before that. Maybe it was Genghis Khan. Anyway, the the Lombards came in and the Huns came in and they went and and the people in northern Italy went. You know, we are we like the nice lakes and the cheese and the ham and this is bullshit. And so they ran out. <laughs> but I don't want. To, I don't need to fight you, assholes. Yeah. They, and so they run out into the swamps, mm-hmm. and onto these islands in the swamps. And the Lombards and the Huns and everything are like, you know what? That's not worth it to us, because first we like horses and horses hate that shit. So they took piers of wood and pounded it down into the muck and they built a city on it. it and and to this day underneath these buildings that you see leaning all over venice are these are just dozens of feet maybe hundreds of feet of trees that are pounded down into the muck that are the foundations for the buildings that still stand there to this day and these were driven down in like starting in like the fourth century AD. Well, and some of them must be they put a they put a pole in that's forty feet long, and then another and then they one, one right on top of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just the idea is that you're just going to create enough hard stuff, exactly, hard packed thing in the middle of this mud. Right, right, pit. and that's why, and that's one of the reasons that it's not just the sea level is rising, which is a thing. You know, Venice has never been really a, a technically above sea level, but also this whole city is sinking a little bit every year. Well, because the stuff they built on top of those wood pilings is not... It's palatial. It's not balsa wood. It's like no. giant marble that Doge's palace. Holy exactly, crap. exactly. And so that was... Uh, and and um, the 13th century, the interesting part about that, which is where this book is set... The 13th century is actually the 1200s. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. Is, I struggled with that for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. I still have to look. I have to check my notes sometimes. Well, the trick is to go all the way back to the first century, which would be the zeros from zero through a yeah. hundred. That's the first one. So then, now you got to figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So that happened. Sorry, I apologize. No, and and and, for, and this is like twelve ninety nine. So you're almost fourteenth century. I'm okay. Yeah. Keep going. But in the beginning of the twelfth century. Um, the Crusades are the Fourth Crusade is happening, and the Venetians go to all these warlords in in um, in Europe, and they go, you know what? If you guys put a bunch of armies together and you give us, say, a hundred thousand ducats, we'll build ships and we'll take your guys to the Holy Land. All your stuff, your pigs, your horses, your weapons, your wives, the whole nine. We'll load them onto ships and we'll take them to the Holy Land. When you say the warlords, you're talking about the I'm crusaders. talking about princes and the yeah, the princes. Want to go yeah, we're princes of yeah, the princes yeah. of Burgundy and France and you know Austria and all those countries that don't exist anymore. But I'm just I, the weird thing to me as a fifty-something-year-old man is I'm just now kind of grokking 
what a insanely stupid idea the Crusades were? Yeah. A lot of it, I think, and and this is really true, I think a lot of it was a, an assuagement for guilt. Because if you were a royal, and, and you know, in the Middle Ages, life pr- pretty much sucked. and And yet they built the most extraordinary structures that humans uh, to date have built, which are the cathedrals, you know, started in the Middle Ages. But the Middle Ages now are back to, when are we talking about then? I'm talking about a thousand. Yeah, know? right. That's what I thought the Middle Ages were. Yeah, well, the Renaissance doesn't happen until the 14th, 15th, 16th century. So Middle Ages goes a long so way. So we're still in this 1200 yeah, anywhere from still... Yeah, anywhere from about 600, I think, until... Yeah, until yeah. about 1300. But the, the great cathedrals of the world were all built starting in around 1100s. And, and we're, this is not the height of technology or, or anything. So basically, everybody's living on hope. You know, the average age is, you know, life expectancy for a peasant is about 35, you know. And, and, it's, and it's basically, you know, your diary is woke up, caught the plague, you know, ate gruel, died. And that's that. And then Saturday you do the same thing. Um, you can't get. You can't. Okay, go ahead. But it's. But that's a. That's a typical, yeah, yeah, a typical peasant day. day. Yeah. Or maybe it's mostly my neighbor died. My right. Sister, right. My, my sister. Wife died. My my first our eleven baby, we woke children. Up and our baby was dead. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, but but, rich people lived a little bit longer, because mm-hmm. they got to. For one, they could stay away from the sick people when they got sick. You know, it's pretty – all the kings, if there was, like, a plague in Paris, believe me, the king of France was not hanging out in Paris. They would go on yeah. lockdown. They wouldn't lock down in they Paris. Would they would leave. They would leave. They would get yeah, out they would the leave. Same thing. When London was under plague, you know, the, the, yeah. the Henry of the day would leave and go somewhere else. And um, – but those guys felt very guilty. I mean, they'd been raised that, you know, they're divinely uh, sort of uh, – what's the word? Their position is determined by birth by God. Mm-hmm. And they've done some heinous stuff. And so to atone for that, you know, it's like if I go take the Holy Land back for... It's be a major plus. I am so totally going to spend this eternity, you know, like it'll be awesome, as awesome as my life is. Plus front row in church, too. Forever. Yeah, and, less, and probably less itchy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's how the cathedrals got built, too, because you'd have like the wool merchants. Like the cathedrals of England, most of them were financed by the wool merchants. Because they were living a pretty good life, and they were like, "Okay, maybe I ought to build a church now." Just because, so people don't. Yeah, because so then God no, won't be mad it. at me. Yeah. Be- and was there any kind of worry that, of class warfare of like I'm a rich guy, somebody's going to come kill me for my money? That or? happens. That's kind of uh, that. That kind of has always been the case. But it was, you know, you they were beholding to you. It was like if you were if you were the lord of the land, you basically mm-hmm. could starve someone out. So they weren't going to all unionize and right. get together and take you out because you probably had, you know, a couple of knights or something or a couple of you know men of men at arms. But but the main thing was you owned their land. So it was like, you know, if you decided all of a sudden I you know, I don't know. Uh, you and Bobby Slayton are going to rise up against Letterman or something like that. It's just not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. we're not doing that. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. So. I can't tell you how many times Bobby suggested. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be pretty fucking hilarious. We're going to storm the Ed Sullivan Theater. We're taking over. I'm telling you, we can do it. <laughs> A siege of the Ed Sullivan they no Theater. no weapons. They don't even know we're coming. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was a bad Bobby Slayton impression. So anyway... <laughs> 
Anyway, I, this has nothing to – This is, the book is way more interesting than what I've told you. I'm just setting the scene. But it takes Basic, place in that time. Right. And the, and the Venetians basically – the short way to say this is they facilitated the Crusades. They became the maritime power of the Mediterranean by – Charging warlord, charging kings and princes to take their soldiers to the Holy Land. It was in their interest to have as many crusades as they could possibly have because they 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 ran all the buses, they had right. all the ships, and so that's when this is set. Whereas the the Shakespeare plays that I drew from, which is Othello and Merchant of Venice, are actually set in the 16th century in the 1500s. I had to move them all back to the 1300 or the 1200s because my last book that this is the sequel to, Fool. Ends in the 1200s, but it turned out for me to be awesome because it's a much more interesting time in Venice, in the in the late 1200s, um, and that's where the book is set. And my fool goes to Venice as an emissary for the Queen of England or Queen of Britain at that time, and gets into all kinds of shit. And that's what the book is about. And so you went. To, you must have. Then you got to go to Venice because I went to Venice. See, yeah, yeah. You can see still now some of what it looked like then. Oh yeah, and and in fact, the idea for the book came from being in Venice, not vice versa. You know, although that has happened, I've done books where like I'd like to go scuba dive in the South Seas, and it's like I better write a book about that, and then it's tax deductible. This was not that case. I was in Italy for a. Can you uh, deduct it from your taxes if the idea happens after you went there? You can you can do that? Well, the, in this case, I could because I was sent over there to do the Mantua Literary Festival. Mm. And then we sort of ducked over to Venice, you know, because my then-wife-like girlfriend said, you better take me to Venice. And I was like... It's the same one as now, but she just has... Yeah, different. now she's a wife. Then she was just a wife-like girlfriend. Gotcha. So, yeah, so we went there and I thought... And, and Venice's got streets that are... You know, a guy your size has to... Turn sideways so his shoulders don't hit. We went there a couple of years ago, my wife, with our daughter, who was two and a half at the time. And it was try going around Venice with a stroller because you got to keep lifting up to yeah. go over the stairs yeah. and getting in And it's creepy. And I mean, as, as beautiful as Venice is, you know, if you go back those, those side streets and stuff, it's very creepy. You know, it, it's creepy, but it doesn't seem... There's parts of it that seem empty, but I didn't feel menaced at all. No, no, not by other human beings. It just was the, what my my the, you know because of the way my mind works, I look at these teeny tiny narrow streets that are they're so narrow that the buildings are buttressed mm-hmm. across the street so they don't fall into the street. Yeah, and, it's weird. It's and, a weird kind of deserted. Yeah, and and you know, si- and and basically you go down a, a canal that there's a sidewalk that runs right along at the water level. You know, and 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 yeah. there, and a few doors open out onto it and stuff. So if someone could open their door and knock you into the water. And Did you read the Liv Grossman? Is Liv Grossman books of magic? Those books? Uh huh. They're they're a, they're an interesting kind of weird yeah. sort of magical school type of book. Except the kids are the kids are real and they're terrible and right. they fuck each other and take right. drugs and. But they go to this place that's in between two worlds that's like Venice, only with no people in it. Oh. And it has that feeling that Venice has when you go from one square to another square. And they're sort of similar enough that if you, by the time you do that two times, you forget, did I Yo, turn left or where right? Where am I? How do I uh, get back? Yeah, it's a real, it's an easy place. Considering it's a bunch of islands, you can get pretty lost on Venice. You can mm-hmm. wander around for a while. And, and so I thought this would be a great place for a monster story. You know, they have those... The wellheads for the for the what used to be communal, you know, people in the city would go out and get their water there. They sit about six feet above 
the level of the squares, and they're usually in the squares. And so there are these big round things with a steel lid on top of them, and that's to keep seawater from going into the fresh water. And I thought, well, you know, something creepy's got to come out of there at night. Well, how, wait, how can a well go down through salt water to fresh water? How can because that... there's fresh water underneath the ground. I mean, basically, that's... The marsh is, you know, you're talking about going into the, the under ground. the brackish swampy with under marsh, the brackish. There's, there's dry yeah. dirt, and then yeah, you go if you go the down a hundred and hundreds the... of feet down, then you hit the aquifer that's underneath the uh, the water. Yeah, so there are freshwater wells in Venice. This and is as hydrological as I've ever gotten. I, on I the cannot believe I, how I've made what's a fairly exciting story into this. But <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> well, um, congratulations. That's what gave me the idea. I thought this would be a great place for a monster story. And then I just I, I decided, well, the monster's got to come out of the water, mm-hmm. you know, because he can get around anywhere and you can't see him. So it, it was it was this sea monster, the serpent. And, and it can talk, of course. Right. No, it doesn't. Can't talk. Oh, really? No. Now, what about see, because I haven't read all of your books and you gave me fool, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. The ones that I've read have all been set contemporary right. settings. So part of what's fun to me about reading them is the language that people use. Right. I mean, I guess even though Lamb was Bible times, right. still spoke it's still con- contemporary. contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what makes it funny. Well, well I, that's one of the things. That makes well, one other thing I did for Fool and I did for this one is I listened to a lot of Shakespeare. So I write what I would call Shakespeare-y. It's. No, it, there's no modern American that would have any problem understanding it, mm-hmm. except Michael, the guy that stopped us on the sidewalk as we were leaving the baseball game. He said, "I have, a, I had a little problem with fool." Remember, he said that. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. that was the guy. Yeah. Yeah, in a Dodger cap or shirt. Yeah, but mm-hmm. he, yeah, but he had a cute kid on his head, so he was. Yeah. yeah we let him out of jail for that. But um, so I, I, the whole the language thing was being able to think in a modern idiom but use enough vows and and stuff and to mm-hmm. make it sound mm-hmm. shakespeare and that's sort of how it's written and it's and the first book is all written in pocket's voice and the second book sort of has some third person and some pocket's voice and pocket is my fool and how do so obviously you know that the first book the fool did well enough that people were interested in the sequel and or do you just kind of go with you you're interested in you, I, you have to start writing this before you know really how the last book did yeah, and I I liked doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I'm it's it's to a point where I each of my books is so different. Or there there's like three will be similar, but then the people will go. He just wrote a whole book about impressionist painting. I didn't see that coming. You know, right, right. after the three vampire books, or you know that sort of stuff. And and so sort of my mark is they just they trust that I'll get them through, even if it's a weird thing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I've already done that with with Shakespeare one time. They already went, well, I was dubious about it, but I gave it a shot, and it, he came through for me. So this one was just I wanted to write another one, and um, and I wanted to do a monster story set in Venice, and I started looking what's been done. You always want to see, not make sure you're not doing what's already been done. And I thought, well, the, the only horror story I remember set in Venice is the Cask of Amontillado, where a guy dressed as a fool gets walled up in a cellar in Venice. And I'm like, I have a fool. I can wall him up in a cellar in Venice. Oh, so you're going to leverage a thing that people already know a little bit well, about. Well, and, and it helps me because it's like one less idea I have to come up with. And that Edgar Allan Poe isn't going to sue me. He's been dead for, you know, a couple years. So Yeah, it has. It's I can't remember which century, but it's not this century. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah, he's totally, even his lawyers are dead. So 
<laughs> That's when you know you're finally okay. Yeah. The, the only thing I would have a problem with is if somehow Disney had owned it and then I was, I'd be hosed. But, um... <sighs> yeah, I, this whole copyright thing is I, I go back and forth about whose side I'm on. I just was listening to a thing this morning about modern copyright and how seeds now are copyrighted. And there was a move, there's a movement amongst people who are producing new kind of plant hybrids for carrots and onions and whatnot to create these public domain seeds that if you use them to breed with anything else, it will also be public domain because so much of what we're eating nowadays is copyrighted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, that for things that are created a lot of, you know, and, and the big agro companies, they do a lot of seeds that don't reproduce seeds. Or they reproduce seeds that aren't the same as the seeds of the yeah, thing that you exactly. just ate. Exactly. Which is like, uh, to me, I guess it's a solid business plan. But at the same time, on the other hand, it seems like a recipe for catastrophe. I mean, that's we're all going to starve to death because something happens and we can't get the good seeds. They The factory broke. Right. And now now we got to eat the half-assed. Well, I, I, I think that, and I, I am... I am so deeply out of my realm talking about this, but I think that you know heirloom tomatoes came back because of that because we kept getting seeds that had been hybridized to be manufactured and so they have long shelf lives and you could and you could harvest them with machines and so you got you know sort of supermarket tomatoes. Right, but when they they look like tomatoes, but they they're taste like, they're horrible, like cardboard. Wet but cardboard. then all of a sudden somebody went, "Hey, look, I got these seeds that my grandma has been growing and this." There's this purple tomato, and it tastes good, and, you know, let's grow from those seeds. And then we're going to take the seeds from that tomato and grow them again. And that's – so, you know, yes, you're right. And But but that the, – the, the, the good the, – the hopeful note was that last year the Supreme Court said um, in a rare moment of sanity said, look, you can't copyright human genes. That's just bullshit. Because what was happening was a company would identify, say, the genes for the what was it, the B the B one A gene for women's breast cancer, and the reason that the that the test was four thousand dollars is the company who discovered the gene identified the gene on the chromosome had patented it, and so all of a sudden to test for it you had to pay them four grand, which most women can't afford. You know, Angelina Jolie could. But most. But eventually, eventually, there's going to be a revolt against. I know this all started with Edgar Allan Poe's lawyers being dead, so you could. Do yeah. The idea so I can from steal from so him. So I can. I'm well aware from if you're listening that, yeah. uh, that we're off on a tangent right now. Yeah. But I do think that someday we're all going to be. There's going to be enough of us who aren't lawyers or people who own the copyright of something that's making us rich that are great-great-grandfather copyrighted, eventually it's going to be some a situation where, you know what, I'm just going to give a copy of this to my friend. I'm just going to – I don't care what the law is. I mean, that's all, actually – that's already happening. But we've still got this stigma that those people are outlaws and intellectual property. And I think – I do agree with the idea of intellectual property. Please don't copy my special and my CDs. I feel like those are mine, and I would still like to be able to earn money but on those. But once – the person dies and their children die and their grandchildren die and some entity owns the rights to mm-hmm. to your little mouse character, hey, maybe it's time to let 
you know, some rapper. Well, yeah, it used to it used to be life of the author in fifty years, and then it was life of the author in seventy five years, and now it's. But that kind of intellectual property and the stuff that that Apple and Samsung are going back and forth against. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a different kind of thing, and I I, I can't pretend to. I, I mean, the the concepts that these that these people and companies are patented in, like we invented the swipe to open. And I'm like, well, right. The idea that you can own one click, purchase with one click. The idea that and you they, can and own that's, that, and that's gone to court. You know, I know it's outrageous. Well, the idea that you could have a business plan is that you, is that you buy patents for technology, software technology from companies that have gone out of business, and your business plan is you buy these old patents, and then you have lawyers and engineers troll through them for things that they might be able to sue other companies for having stolen from these patents that mm. you didn't even develop that were someone else's failed mm. business garbage, that, that that's a business plan. I, I just I feel like when does someone stand up and call bullshit on that? Is it me who has to do that? Yeah, I think it is. I okay. think it's probably you. I've got other stuff to do, but I will Yeah, I, I, I get uncomfortable when you start talking about that because I'm in a position where and people get really angry with me. And they're like, what do you think about ebooks? And I'm like, I think ebooks are fine. I use ebooks. But they're killing my income. Well, but that's just because you got caught by a weird business person. We were talking about this earlier. So yeah, that's you why. know so about I feel this. like I yeah. was a little bit ready for this. But you were saying the share of the royalties on the sale of an ebook is so much smaller than your share of the royalties on a paper book. Right. And, and, and the problem is that someone signed that deal, whether it was you or your agent or the or the some entity company made up that deal before anybody knew what, what well, the, the world changed deal was. yeah when when i did my last contract which was like six years ago um the the share of book sales that were ebooks was like less than two percent mm-hmm. now it's like 40 percent so so it would be like it would be like me saying okay joe jake i'm gonna give you x amount on on it, this is going to take about an hour, and you're, but in China, you're only going to get one percent, and you're going to go. Well, I can't imagine. Who that, cares? Right? Yeah, and, and then it turns out. And that then now, all of a sudden, you go. He, you know, Jake is like the. You know, all of a sudden, they invented a pill yeah, where they can take it and then yeah, they get you're the mu- you're the mushu pork of 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 comedy. Well, but over it's there. different than that because you're talking about people. It's not like a whole new art market that you didn't know about of, of a whole new audience. It's the same audience, but it's a different way that they're right. It's a different delivery. Your, your yeah, stuff. that's 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 some of it. And I think everybody's got it is taking a hit. I mean, I, I saw in the uh, like this week in the paper was, uh, that the president's income from when he took office right after Dreams of My Father had come out mm-hmm. um, is down something like. I think I can only I can't do percentages in my head, but real numbers is like he made like three million dollars the first year he was in office, and he made like four hundred grand this year. And they said because his royalties on books went down. So I'm not the only one that's going. Hey, wait a minute, this is kind of this is uncomfortable, you know. Well, I also think that we're all going to have to get used to making a small. The, you're still working in a situation where someone else is the primary owner of that, and they're distributing a share of it to you. And then eventually there's going to be a world where, especially successful artists like yourself, it's already happening with comics, producing our own specials and putting them out out and owning them. I mean, 
if, if it's all at once, hey, people don't need paper books anymore, then you almost won't need a publisher because you're in connection with exactly. all of your fans. Yeah, and it'll yeah. be, look, I'm sell- I can sell you the book for $5 because I get to keep $4.83 yeah. yeah. of it. Yeah, that, that's true. And, I, and, and that's the model, though, and, and I've watched you struggle with this with comedy. Struggle is not the right word, but you know, you've talked about it every time I've, I've seen you, which is everybody's kind of in, in your industry – is sort of on the balls of their feet going, what the hell do I have to do next? Do I have to Twitter? Do I have to have a podcast? Do I have to, well, you, you know? Got, first it was you got to promote your own shows, and then it became now you have to produce your own specials and try and sell them. And now it's like you have to produce your own special, and hopefully you make your money back. And then you've also got to do a podcast, which at least this is fun. It's my own thing that yeah. I do, and I can do whatever yeah. I want, and no one can tell me it's not. Yeah, it's this, not yeah this enough. is work, which is really it's obscene. really fun. Yeah, this is a great... podcast is really fun. Yeah, this but is... this is all things that you do for free now as a comedian so that people hopefully will come and see your live show. Right. And and eventually that maybe it's it's becoming the case with musicians and I could see it becoming more and more the case with author. I mean there are I can't remember the name of this author who he not only did his he write his own sci, sci-fi horror books mm-hmm. but he recorded his own audio, audio books yeah. and then he made Video, he shot video, um, like trailers for the books, and he sold them himself on the internet. No, there, there are, there are people who are successful at that. Yeah, you know, um, I just I'm bridging that world. You know, I mean, I, I when I first started writing, I was writing on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. You know, and and now obviously that's not the case, and and so that's how far I've come. You know, when people talk about how many drafts do you do, I'm like, how? What's a draft? Right. How can you even yeah, know? Because you can go Yeah, how many times have I backed things? out a sentence that when I was writing on a typewriter, I would have had to retype the whole thing? Well, it is amazing yeah. to me how that technology has changed. And it's changed. The first thing it happened to was writing, where now you didn't, yeah. have, to, you didn't have to print, type it out, and then white mm. out things or cut pages in half and insert half pages in mm. or write on a yellow legal pad right. and have someone transcribe it. The first thing it happened on was, was writing. And now that same kind of editing and cutting happen mm-hmm. is happened to film and right. TV and video production. Right. And it's just amazing when you think about what authors in you you know what an achievement it, it would have been to write a book you mm-hmm. know 50 years ago. Well, it's interesting. I went to, I did a gig at the Mark Twain Museum in Hartford last year and they go through sort of Mark Twain's whole financial history. Mm-hmm. And he was constantly trying to find a new print setting machine and a new typesetting machine. And Mark Twain is supposedly the guy that wrote the first book ever written on a typewriter. I don't know which one it was, but he's the first guy to write a book on a typewriter, not by hand with an ink pen. And, and, and he went broke like three times doing this. And, and well, he was an investor, investor, inventor, schemer. Like he was always trying to – he threw millions of dollars into Into, into printing. like that. And, yeah. but, but, but it's technology. It's like, it would be mm-hmm. like you know, you running into a guy that says, Jake, I have this thing. It's called a podcast. Do you want to get into it? Um, but he used to – Mark Twain used to also make money. He would write the books, and then he would go on a paid speaking tour. Yeah. Like you would, you yeah. would have to buy a ticket to go yeah. and listen to him talk. Well, that, that's the complaint of my business. I, I was talking to uh, a performer. I, my wife was actually talking to, to a performer who's really uh, – sort of been a name for many many years and and he was talking about you know we don't make you know none of us and he's he's a guy who was a big name in the 60s mm-hmm. and and um and has remained sort of visible 
And he said, none of us thought we were going to still have to be touring, but we don't make any money on our recordings anymore. And so we have to tour. And so there's, you have all these bands out there that, that, you know, these guys are 75 years old, but they're touring because they can't live off of their royalties. Well, you know? uh, yeah, I, I do get that there were a lot, there were a lot of musicians who became rich off of making music. But I go down to New Orleans, and there's plenty of 60-year-old guys who make their money. No, no, I, under, I understand that. But, 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 that's the, but that's exactly what I'm talking about, is like, look, my, I do everything else just to try and get people interested in coming out for a live experience. And really, that's what I enjoy the most. I mean, I do get that when you get to be 70 years old, maybe you're not looking forward to going to the airport to wind up in mm-hmm. uh, in Peoria but uh, well my my answer and the, my wife's answer to this guy was you know she turned the ticket to his concert that night over and it was $175 and she said you've met Chris do you know anybody that's going to pay $175 to come and listen to him talk about his books and he went oh good point you know and that's that's where I'm I mean there there is a Mark Twain and maybe in our modern era there's there's David Sedaris that people will and Garrison Keeler, who people will go oh, here. I wouldn't sell yeah. yourself short. I feel like here when you're ready, because I've got this along with my many other Plan B fantasies. Mm-hmm. One of them, one of them is the RV, you know, like the circus wagon tour <laughs> of the country, where you and I are do, on a circus wagon tour, where I go up and do some stand up, and you go up and you read some from your books and pontificate about your thing, and then. We bring someone else up who plays a little bit of music, <laughs> and then we do some magic tricks, and it's it's a night out. Yeah, there's got to be there's a dark underworld underbelly of that I mean, RV. But but yeah, you're not going to get paid 175 dollars for a ticket, but you're also not dragging along. You you're know, right. I don't need a semi. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I have know. a rollaway. That's my yeah. that's my roadies. Yeah, that's the beauty um, of the yeah. talking game. Yeah, I'm is, I'm very portable. But 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 you know, I first I was proud of her for making that that you know leap you know to a big rock star but mm-hmm. but secondly you know it it the performance model has not really been established for authors and even even acknowledging what you're saying is i might be able i do okay talking to people because i like it and i can and and i'm funny for a living even though i'm not as i'm not i'm not even remotely as good as you are but i'm i you know but the bar is so much lower for me and we talked about this like yeah yeah you know but 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 there are a lot of authors i know that are really smart people, and they suck at talking to people. Right. It has to be something that you can do. You yeah. have to be putting on a show that people like. But yeah. you're like three helpers in a couple of weeks away from having that show. And no. then the other thing is, as much as you say, yeah, stand-up comedy, there's a business model to it. Like, I'm working this Thursday, Friday, Saturday here at the Punchline in mm-hmm. San Francisco. But uh, more and more now, I'm starting to look into, like, what, what would it be like to go and work on a Sunday or Monday or Tuesday at a club where they don't have a regular show? Mm-hmm. Because their business model at the club is, like, we pay the performers a lower share of the weekend money because we know we're going to sell tickets to those shows. Whereas if you go in on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and it's all your fans coming mm-hmm. to see you, you can get 100% of the door. So in some, there's some ways where it can be this... A lot less people, and you're still making the same. Yeah, and it's and it's not costing the club anything, except you right. know. For that's why they're willing yeah. to give away 100 percent of the door on a Monday night. Yeah, is because look, that's they're making money off of drinks. That they were going to be dark that night. Yeah, and so what what I'm talking about for you when I'm pitching you the circus wagon is dark tour, night. Yeah, is you're going out into places when you're at a bookstore. There's not 200 people in that room at that bookstore 
on any other night listening to whoever shows That's up. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other, the other thing is that, you know, I could go to places that no one ever go. I, that's what I found is like when I went to Anchorage, mm-hmm. I mean, it was uh, I was bowled away by how many people showed up. They you are know? not going to believe it when we roll in in a circus wagon. Like, how did we get up there right. on the Transcon- Trans-Alaska-Siberian? Right. I know. Right? Okay. Yeah. Have you seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No, I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Well, they, they, yeah. Well, they have this giant, like, C-130 jet plane that can vertical land and take off, you know? Uh-huh. That's so a can... bit of a budget buster for this idea, Chris, but uh, oh. okay. I'm just saying, I would totally be on board if we went out on our comedy literary ukulele tour and we had a jet that can just kind of land in the middle of a cornfield in nebraska you know i think probably the best we're gonna do is a timothy leary version of an old greyhound bus okay Mm -hmm. all right i would i'll dial back my expectations no pooping on the bus okay yeah okay that's a thing isn't it Yeah. yeah yeah it's a thing okay all right okay all right all right, I feel better about that. What were we talking about? Our day. Our day, right. So we did get to the game. You lost your wallet, but then at the end of the game, you found out that your wallet was found. Yeah, uh, and um, my wallet was found, and the guy had taken it to my mail drop, mm-hmm. and I said, leave it there, and, I, and gave, leave your address, and I'll send you money, and I will send him money. Even though you're walking around with a shirt with the my name guy on it. written on the back, which yeah. is your Twitter handle, yeah. um, you have a mail drop because... Let's face it, these people. Well, am I right? The the shirt is a gift from my wife. Yeah, well, I do get that, but still, you're kind of. I'm not hiding. You're, you're right. Waving a hand. At I'm the not wearing a ball cap and shades there. because I'm trying to be secret. I'm wearing a ball cap and shades because I was at a ball game in the sun. Right. Um, but well, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. I'm not afraid of my fans either, but, you know. I, no, 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 no. I, I, no, no, no. I, I have a mail drop for, for various reasons, not the least of which is I lose my wallet a lot. Um, so. <laughs> it's a good place to meet yeah. up with those people. Yeah, so I don't. It's easier for them to find yeah, and, your mailbox and, business than to your actual No, house. and no, for, I move a lot. Mm-hmm. I used to. I thought you'd been. No, I, now I've been in this house for six years, but when I first came to San Francisco, the first Year when in did San Francisco. To a show because you came to a show and you gave me that book, Lamb, a long time ago. Maybe that was right after it came out, but maybe not. No, no, no. It was. No, it would have been uh, years after that. It was. Yeah, it came out in two thousand two, I think. So it was years after that. It was after. It's like two thousand four, I think. I came to a show and okay. gave you the book. Okay, yeah. And I was soft sold it. I'm like, but hi, I'm thought- just a fan, you know. Yeah, and I and it, so it took me a couple of years until someone else recommended that book, and I said, wait a minute, I know the guy who wrote that. I'd yeah. read it. Yeah. Um, but. I thought you'd be, sort of been in living in the same San Francisco dug-in digs. No, well, I've lived time. in the same neighborhood, mm-hmm. but we would get a, find a better place, and we like, see. well, this is awesome. And then we, you know, because I when I came here from Hawaii, I wanted to live either in North Beach or on Russian Hill because mm-hmm. I just like the north end of the city because you can walk I lo- everywhere. I love, uh, yeah, I love North Beach. Yeah, and so and so we've lived. You know, we started in North Beach and we moved to another place and in, in sort of. Bottom of Russian Hill, you know, over the Maritime Park, and this is nice. Um, it's people, are you talking about? We can now hear a Chinese family. Yeah, there's a Chinese the family in the in the next room. It's it's nice. I can see them. So I'm. I'm well, the I'm, thing the thing about speaking another language is you can speak it loudly to your family, 
in a country that's not your country because you're pretty sure that no one's eavesdropping on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we, uh, so anyway, so but I used to move a lot. And in fact, I moved. A, uh, that's why I have a mail drop. Got it. And 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 my in my adult life, you know, which I, I start, although certainly I wasn't an adult, but I start when I was 19 and I came to California. Mm-hmm. I, I probably moved 30 times. So having a P.O. box was always the thing that I had. But you couldn't get a P.O. box in North Beach because you had to be on a waiting list for months. To get so, an actual post office. Yeah, post so office. I had a, I have a mail drop because you can just rent one at the mailboxes are us kind of guy. So right, right. anyway, I'm not being I'm not hiding from my fans. No, know? I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to. No, it's I okay. I just meant to make a joke about that. No, no you're it, not. People yeah. can come to San Francisco and probably run into you. Yeah, it's and and you know because I'm an author and nobody ever recognizes me. It was cool when the guy read my name on his sh- my on my shirt and he went, "Hey, are you him?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Well, your shirt says author guy, and he right. said, "Are you Christopher Moore?" Yeah, yeah. yeah and I was, was like, cool. "Yes, I am." It was nice. Yeah, I I, I was gonna have. You know what wouldn't fit on the back? Modern comic genius. <laughs> yeah, well, you're gonna have to work out work something out with Barnes patch, and Noble because they probably the com- they probably copyrighted they own that. that so yeah. You're not allowed to refer to yourself yeah. as that. They can refer. refer God, to you I as have that. to remember we're doing a show here. We're entertaining people, and we're not. We're not entertaining people. No, gonna, yeah, no, you are. I'm entertained no, no. by this. I'm trying to keep track of the fact that we're talking you, into the machine. Okay, that's the beauty of this new setup where you're holding the microphone. You right. Know, you, it, you, it's it a constant a sort of like it's oh, a constant reminder. We're talking that, right that into the internet. That we're talking to the internet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when I listen to like you and Nigel, you guys are you're way funny, and I'm I'm not way funny. Nigel's high quality, and but you're high. Qu- don't sell yourself short. Well, it's nice of you to say that. This has been a good conversation. Okay. I feel like you've got nothing to be okay embarrassed about here. Yeah. Well, thanks. And also, the people who listen to it are people who like it, and if they don't like it, yeah, they can wait for the next one. Well, what they should know is that I always thought that you were like the modern comic genius of of the '90s and O's. It's, and, it's weird to find out for you that you were wrong about that, and in fact, it turns out it's you. No, no, I think I'm just—I think I'm just like on your coattails. I was telling you today, and I'm repeating this because these people weren't there. Um, that I steal from you all the time—not your material, your timing. You were saying that in the the, the the way that you write, you're kind of borrowing, but not just me. You said other comics. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's how I teach. I said I can't teach you to be funny, but I can teach you comic timing. And the way you do that is you listen to the very first story I ever published was published in a in a um, African American men's magazine, which I have never to this day seen a copy of. What was it called? It was called Players, <laughs> and and it said. I think in, you mean players. That could be. Oh, God. That what was be. the context? Because I wrote it down, and it is still in my phone. Bus a rock with a playa yeah. to mean do the fist bump. Yeah, 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 and yeah. blow yeah. it up with some. You put yeah. that in. Uh, was that uh, dirty work? It was a dirty stuff? job, yeah. Dirty yeah. jobs? Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so you published this book. In- yeah, and, and my first published story ever was published in, in Players Magazine. And what it was is I had been listening to Eddie Murphy's first album. You know, the, the I don't know what it's called, Eddie Murphy, I think, and he's just him with a rose, and he talks about having a talking car and his mother putting his dick in the sink and all this. And it was it was hilarious. And he was like 20 years old at the time. And I, and I just had picked up the rhythm, and I wrote a story about, as is my sort of bailiwick, about a guy who is a street guy, and he meets death on the street in New York City, and he's playing death for the three. He hustles death at the three-card Monty. And the the story was only, I want to say it was 1,200 words long, and it had 17 motherfuckers in it. 
and and it was the first thing I ever sold was to this African American mm-hmm. men's magazine, um, and and basically, I mean, I didn't take any material, but the whole idiom of it was Eddie Murphy. You were just borrowing his. I was just the way he talked, yeah. you know, and 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 so I, I mean. Props to you, Eddie. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a funny way of looking at it on on your part. But I mean, I think that is part of, especially when I read your books, it's like that mimicry that you've got that ear for mimicry mm-hmm. that that people associate with being an impressionist, right? But, but you do it in in writing. Yeah, sometimes. I learned the yeah. things, the way that people are saying things. Sometimes it's not even the actual person. It's not it's not a black person talking. Right, the way that you typically, stereotypically, would associate with a black person—it's a young girl who has decided that she is going to talk that way now. Right, and so it's really funny. Right, and 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 there's and in that one that you're talking about in a dirty job, there's he's been listening to language tapes how to talk like a playa, uh-huh. and 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 so he's trying to learn how to talk like yeah. like a gangster, and he's actually talking to a very large African American man who doesn't. Who who really isn't buying that, you know? Which right, is what the working. what the humor of it is, which which I'm writing the sequel of that book now, and that character that big that that big black guy is named Minty Fresh, and he's been in a couple of my books, and he's this seven foot sort of soft spoken black guy who likes jazz in a real Buddhist way, and he's in this book he's that I'm writing now he's lost his cool, because he's dated the smart ass goth girl that was in the other book and he's just like I, I can't believe that i let her freak me out and he's lost his cool so he has to have his his cousin from new orleans come which i'll talk to you about at another time because you know about new orleans lemon um so lemon comes to re yeah comes to re, you know to yeah to re-smooth his, on the right yeah, path. lemon fresh mm-hmm. comes to his his, his it's minty fresh and lemon fresh yeah okay yeah oh <laughs> Look, I got through two books with with Minty Fresh, and nobody ever said, "I can't believe there's a guy." Yeah, named you're not Minty allowed Fresh. to do this. You're yeah. not allowed to do Minty Fresh. So you go, all right. If that, if that then I could do yeah. Lemon Fresh. Yeah, I'm going to call in my cousin Lemon, mm-hmm. you know, to help me out. Yeah, why not? Yeah, from New Orleans, so it's different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. It so is. yeah, because so yeah, because Minty Fresh is cool like a baseline. You know, like boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, boom. You know, like a cool bass line. But, but Lemon is like hi-hats, you know, like brushes on a hi-hat sort of I see. cool. He's, he's even a, more yeah, he's got a different, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he's going to tutor, you know, because totally Minty's off of it. He's, he's, he's discordant now. He's Gatto Barbiero and... You know, he's just he's he's like bird on a real high day. He's just he's completely out of control. Um, <laughs> You're taking this jazz metaphor and really. I am. I'm. I'm I, yeah. I'm, yeah. I am. I am herniating this metaphor is what yeah. I'm doing. But uh, yeah. So that's what I'm. I, and then that's the point. This is the point where, where the book isn't written that you can talk like that. You can go. Oh, I wonder if I can make this coherent. You know. And so that's the one that you're working on now. That will yeah. will that come out next or that'll come that'll know? yeah that'll come out next. But I can't tell you when because I'm only like, well, it, in case my editor listens to this, I'm only around a hundred pages into it. You know. Is that how you do it? You start writing the book as you go, or do you outline yeah, everything? Ahead yeah, of time? I, I, I kind of have an idea where it's going, but you know, it's not, it's not done until the pages in order are written. 
Right. So you you write you got an idea and you start writing your way into it and then right. you have to go up helicopter up for a bigger bird's eye view and then come back. Right, down. right, right. And I and I do outline more, especially if I have source material like this this last book, Serpent of Venice, that's based on two Shakespeare plays. There's a lot of outlining there because there was thirty eight characters that I had to sort of either kill off or move around or consolidate. But but when it's an original like like Dirty Job or or this sequel, which I don't have a title for yet, mm-hmm. so we'll call it Dirty Job Two. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't outline it real strictly. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll have a scene that I know is going to be funny and, it, and it'll put it, and I, and I write to it, you know, like my book uh-huh. lamb, the very first thing that was written in my book lamb was the rough draft of the sermon on the Mount, you know? <laughs> right. Cause and that's that, a funny yeah, thing. Yeah. You yeah. Got something to start yeah. yeah where they're going, they're sitting down by the sea of Galilee, you know, and, and, and they're going, well, what do you, blessed are the dumb fucks. Well, what are they going to get? And it's like, I don't know, a fruit basket. And I was like, okay, that's a scene. And that doesn't happen until like the last fifth of the book, but it was the first thing written because I go, you know, I go, well, now I've got to make all this work so I can get to this funny get part where it. they, yeah. and, and that happens pretty often. And uh, because as you know, comedy doesn't always line up with where you are. And certainly when you're doing a book, you know. Well, I mean, with a stand-up act, you can, you, you know, my process is more like having ideas and then sticking the new ideas in with the old ideas and taking some things out until finally you've got right. a whole, like your body regenerates itself. Right. Finally, you've got a whole new you right. and you didn't really notice what happened. Right. But do you do any of those visual metaphor things? Do you have a whiteboard or yarn and Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. And, and now, actually, you know, talking about technology, I have big flow charts. But, I mean, they're not physically big, but they're – if you were to spread them out, they would fill up like a 72-inch television, you know, with little boxes with text in them that I can drag around and And, and do, do what program is that? Uh, I'm the, just curious. Maybe I, I, no, curious. the one I use is called Inspiration. It's made for teachers, uh-huh. and it works on Mac and, uh, and uh, PC, and which – because when I started using it, I was using both. And and uh, it it was basically for teachers who wanted to teach literature or history or whatever. And you can, it has like if you want to put a little picture of a guy with a quill pen or a, you know, a king or something. You can do. I don't need that very often, but mm-hmm. but mainly for me, it's like hierarchical text blocks. And because it's made for teachers, it's really reasonable priced. I think you can try it for a month for free. But if you go into a business program and you want a flowchart, it's going to cost you hundreds of dollars. Right. And so and and I really it's a it, it's really needs to be a flowchart so I could just move stuff around, free service. But but until recently I was using big sketch pads, and just you know sort of drawing circles and arrows and lines and this will happen. And then you're then constantly and, having yeah. to recreate. Yeah, them. And constantly then when some, re- when yeah, things change. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I I wanted to ask you when you're when you're creating, do you find? I mean, there's a, there's a time when you're just you can kill on stage, and I know that I've. I've I've seen that happen with you and with other comedians where you just – there's nothing you can do wrong. And I don't know if it's the stars or the audience is right. But you get in a in a, a state mentally where you just go, I'm on. Everything that I'm seeing is clicking to me as a, as a bit or something. Well, the like. funny thing to me is uh, I feel like stand-up is not just about – the comedian it's about the comedian's relationship to the audience on that given night right and sometimes you can get caught up in as an outside observer even though i'm one of the people who's involved in that or you're one of the people in Mm -hmm. the audience and you can say you look to me it's really happening i feel like i think this is really happening i mean i'll get people coming up to me after the show sometimes in an audience and saying 
I thought you were really great. I don't know what's wrong with this audience. And my feeling is like, are you being an asshole? That was a great show. The, uh, that audience loved me. So everybody is having their own experience, and they're also mm-hmm. having their own perception. Right. And because I see every show in a weekend, I mean, I can do seven shows, and I would say, look, the best show was the early show Saturday. And uh, because, to me, I felt the most connected and the audience was the biggest response. But if you polled the audience and asked them just individually rate this on a 1 to 10, you might get a different idea of which show was the best show. And sometimes it's not the, the crowd that's the most audibly responding that would say that they would enjoy it more. Right. So um, I feel like with me, it's not as m- – it's it's about, yes, I'm on, but also these people and I are connected. Well, I, I – that's, that's sort of one side of the slate. I guess what I'm asking about is when you're creating material, when, when you're – I experience this as a novelist, but not often because so much of my stuff has to go into context – but I know, like, when I'm on a train in particular between events on a book tour, I'll think up more funny shit that works than in almost any other environment. Um, and, that, and it'll just be like, you know, I can be reading, like, Sky Mall or something, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like everything here is going to work as a bit for me. Do you ever get into that kind of groove? Well, you know, I've been trying to meditate. And the thing about meditation is you're trying to create this time in your day where you're, you're only doing this one really simple thing to make space, right? To make space inside yourself for yeah. you to just be, and I think that the reason what you're talking about happens on a train because it happens to me on airplanes is that you, you, the amount of things that you can get distracted by is very small. So yeah. even if you're on the pl- even if you're on the plane looking at the Sky Mall magazine or reading is something or watching the movie mm-hmm. you still have so much less distraction that all at once those subconscious yeah. you know things that have been waiting to get your attention mm-hmm. they they come up to the surface mm-hmm. you know that you get visited by your muse I, mm-hmm. I did hear this um guy talking about the creative process and his thing was inspiration is for amateurs you know he was talking about mm-hmm. this whole idea of like oh okay, you got to wait till you get inspired and then you can take off on your project and his thing was no inspiration is for amateurs artists go to work you show up every day and you make this quiet place for yourself or you kind of get you throw the ingredients in the pot and you Mm. let them stew and then you make yourself available when they're ready to go i mean not to get too douchey no 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 but that's a that's i think a i i would concur on that is that you have to show up so that when your muse is, you have to show up every day so that on the day your muse is there, you're there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very, you know, that's being a pro, that's exactly right. And, and being a pro doing what I do, you know, I assume is being the same as a pro doing what you do. That's, I guess, what I'm, uh, I'm asking if that's an experience is the day, you know, are there days when the muse shows up? Well, yeah, you definitely, you definitely feel it. I mean, there's nights where you walk on stage and you didn't know tonight was going to be one of those nights, but all at once you're doing your act and you're free and the audience is into it, and so you go off on some tangent and they let you go and you're talking about something that maybe you've talked about before, mm-hmm. but all at once you find this new you find the metaphorical key. Yeah. door that you go through yeah. and like, oh, there's five more minutes of funny talking in here. Yeah, you know, I didn't even know I had this room in my house. And look yeah, at all, look what all this great stuff. Yeah, that's and and so that happens to you more on stage than any other time. 
Well, I, I feel like comedy is a good lazy man's art form. Not that I am super lazy, but uh, you, you can wind up, if you're not careful, just doing minimal disciplined writing work ahead of time. Because you have to eventually work it out and finalize it on stage, you, you can get away with less disciplined time. But I've been trying to be more disciplined on the pre-show part of it so that so that there can be more opportunities on the onstage part. But it almost has to happen on stage, the part where it like right, right. I see what you're saying. Because you can have a you can have a great idea or a, a, something that you think is funny, but until you start trying to explain it to an audience, you don't know if you're, ex- a, you're explaining if there, it Yeah, if, it's, if there's yeah. a way to, to do it. I see what you're saying. And you, and when you hit that gold, I mean, you all of a sudden you go down that tangent and you all of a sudden have discovered five minutes of, of right material. And do you come off stage and write that down? Uh, well, I've been recording. I, d- I do a recording thing now with the, with the phone. I take the phone up with me, so I record all the shows. And, you know, the way that I did it in the past is like that, you know, you're, it's like ancient storytellers. They would tell the story, and people would hear it and would evolve over time mm-hmm. based on what I remembered from the right. last time. So now I have that recording. I can go back and say, look, I said something really different, just a little tiny phrase. Right. But it's sometimes hard to go back and listen to right. it. But, yeah, sometimes I'll write it down afterwards. Sometimes I'll go back and listen to it and write it down. Right. Yeah. That, I, that, it, that didn't occur to me because so much of my work is done sitting in a room by myself. You know, and I and I and I talk about every time. You know, my getting to pee in your pool is just to go out on book tour where the bar is really low, and I can make people laugh because they're like, "He's a guy who sits in a room by himself. How good does he have to be?" You know. But you're doing it basically the same. You're you're reinventing the same wheel that I'm talking about. You say you go out and you don't read from your book. You've got ideas about what you want to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. And then, so you go out and tell them, and then you remember what worked and. What didn't, or oh, next time I'm going to talk more about this, or I'm going to I'm going to say right. this. I'm always going to say this this way from now on. Yeah, and and if I'm lucky, while I'm out on the road, like a barrel eat a kid, or something, and then I'll have like I can do five minutes on you know. I was in Pennsylvania the other day, and this Did bear you just ate this say kid. If you're lucky, a bear will eat a kid. This happened to me. I was. This is one of my favorite things that happened to me on on book tour. Is I was, I was you know. Reading, the, I don't even read the paper unless I'm, you know, on tour and there's the USA Today, right? And there was like, mm-hmm. this bear ate this kid in Pennsylvania. Sad, you know. Okay, and I said when I said, but I said, you know, sad. But then they were going to catch the bear, and in the article, they they set out a trap and they baited it with jelly donuts, and I'm like, I think that the bear has already shown his dietary preference. You know, if you want to catch that bear, you should put a kid in that trap. You know, and oh my god! So, so you're really kind of going out on your kind of weird, twisted limb of your own creation. These are people yeah, who, who yeah, know they those know, kind of yeah, things that yeah, happen in your books, but it was, right? But, it, but you know, and then I and then I go, but if you you know, if for some reason you ever want to trap me. A jelly donut is the perfect thing to put in the live trap because I will right. be, oh, look at this delicious jelly donut. And then, the, you know, the door slammed down and all of a sudden I'm being tranked, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I – so that was just – that's the kind of stuff that happens that I go, oh, well, this is awesome. You could wind up not only with the wrong bear but also with an author. Yeah, yeah. 
and that was with my, and I and so that, that was, happened at the beginning, and then you and then you could do that, tell that story for the rest of the. Tour. Well, yeah, that was a thing that happened, and then and it happened, you know, on, when I was in Philadelphia, and I saw some guys being stopped by the cops by the Liberty Bell because they were vaguely Eastern looking. And I was mm-hmm. by the Liberty Bell, and I was – I definitely – if I would have looked at them and looked at me, I would have gone, he being me, he's the one that's up to something. But they didn't ask me for my ID. They just asked them for their ID, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was ironic because it was the Liberty Bell, and it was in Philadelphia, you know. And and I was just talking about rights and stuff. And then I've somehow I, – I don't remember how I related that to the bear thing. But you get enough of that sort of stuff, and you go, I've just filled 40 minutes of free associating – Balderdash, well, that's you know. what I was saying to you today at the game is I think you should do the book tour and then at the end you should tape the last one, record it mm-hmm. on video, and then put that out there as a thing like, hey, if you didn't get a chance to come to the book tour, here's Chris this is what you're missing. his yeah. latest book. And uh, now it's a thing that makes people want to come to your next book yeah. tour. Maybe it's a thing that makes people want to buy your book. Yeah. And maybe it's a thing that you own the copyright to and you can sell for $5 to download. Yeah. I don't think that that's probably going to happen. But I... But, you know, the thing that's weird is I don't, you know, I saw the thing with Seinfeld about being a comedian. He goes out and he works the material for six months. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Tuesday night, next week, I'm going to go and I'm going to just hurl material out into the audience. And the San Francisco audience, the poor people, they always have to listen to the first draft. It's stuff that I don't know if any of it works. I don't have any form for it. I haven't, But they're also, those people are coming not for, they're not coming for the the Christopher Moore show. They're coming for... To see the Christopher yeah. Moore, the author, yeah. what is this guy like in real life? Right, like right, you right. Say, the expectation is so low right. that then when it turns out, wow, he's a real human being yeah. with funny stories and a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And he kind of seems glad that we're here. You know, no, no, I, I really, which I'm grateful for the less low expectations. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to, I, I mean, I, all of this is my way of saying I really, you know, admire your skill and what you do. But when I'm doing it, it's just so... Uh, I, I really, really like it because, as I've said before, when you write comic novels, you tell a joke, and then 18 months later, you find out whether it was funny or not. If you right. go out and you're talking to people, if it didn't work, you know right away. <laughs> and it, and, and what the most delightful thing is I'm not sure whether this is going to work or not. You know, and then it does. You know, and, and that's cool, too. You know, so I was, I was talking to some – I was signing books on Monday. I signed 2,000 books, and so I got to talk to human beings, which I you don't get to 2, do. You signed 2,000 books for 2,000 people at one place? No, 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 2,000 books for, to, that are going to be sent out by, by mail that people are ordering. Oh, wow. They pre-order the books. Yeah, 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 because I'm, you know, they're going to Kansas and Nebraska and places that I don't go. Uh-huh. So, so they can get a signed first edition from Books, Inc. here in San Francisco. But I got to be in a room with people who, who weren't, you know, were being paid to be there so they couldn't leave. And so I talked to him for a while, and I was saying, okay, I don't know what I'm going to talk about on Tuesday because I haven't talked to real human beings for, you know, like 18 months. And I'm thinking about talking about the Bat Kid, you know, because it's a kid. That, Who's the Bat Kid? The Bat Kid, the whole city of San Francisco for this Make-A-Wish kid, this Miles kid, who like, couldn't be any cuter, this five-year-old kid, his Make-A-Wish wish was to be Batman. Mm-hmm. So the city of San Francisco, like – made a Lamborghini look like a Batmobile and they did the whole city. They printed the Chronicle was Batman saves, Bat Kid saves Gotham City and they got him a Bat costume and a full-size Batman to drive him around and he saved Lucille at the ballpark and he threw the Joker in jail and he took somebody Mm -hmm. and he saved some woman that was tied to the cable car line. It cost the city like $105,000 and it was like the cutest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. 
And I was like, and and he threw out the first ball of the season for the home game of the Giants in a Batman uniform, in the Batman suit. Oh my god! And he, five, he's five, right? And I'm, you know, and everybody's like, shut up. There's just something in my eye, you know. And 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 so I said, I'm going to talk about that. I said, but it, I think he's in remission. I mean, he's he's gonna, he's saved. So like that. Is he? That's great. I think so. Yeah, it's awesome. And I said, but. Basically, everybody talks about their student loans. He now owes the city of San Francisco like $120,000, and he's five. You know, he's oh, not see, even. <laughs> I thought, I th- here's, this is my, because we're having a writing session. My take on that is the sad thing is, is he's five years old, and now it turns out he may live to the ripe old age of however old we get to live, yeah. 84 years yeah. old, and the best thing in his life has already happened. It well, does not. Yeah. You're not going to have a better day. Yeah, than that. that's. I think that's. I mean, yeah, that's in the. I, it wasn't in something wicked. This way comes. He says, "I want to see the best day of my life," and they show him the home run he hit in in like seventh grade in little league. Anyway, yeah, yeah that's the. But no, it's the thing is all of a sudden little Miles now owes like 120 grand and he's five. We got to collect. Know. Yeah. The other thing is that you've convinced him. You've really done a great job. He's five. I mean, how hard a sell mm-hmm. is that? You've got an entire city. They filled this town square that he's Batman. And so his mom's going to be, you know, that night, like, Miles, go to bed. And he's like, I know what happens to you. I don't have to go to bed. You know, he thinks he's Batman, you know. Oh, right, because Batman's parents get killed. Right. So, wow. like, he's got, you know, that's <laughs> really a big... just when I thought we were out of this story without something terrible Exactly, happening. because your comic instincts are telling you what the guy in the signing room who was paid to be there said. He goes, oh, yeah, I think the way to open up your book tour is making fun of a little kid with cancer. And I was like, that is an excellent point. No, I wasn't saying that. No. I feel like, look, we are both sensitive people with so much to give, just like <laughs> Marvin Gaye said. <laughs> And so you have to be true to your artistic vision. So I would never be I would I would never sarcastically look, where does that guy get off? Who is he? Yeah. Who is he? No, but it, he well he had good actually it was pretty funny. It was a pretty funny guy. But the the you know, so that's what I'm sitting here is I'll walk into a bookstore on Tuesday night with you know, a couple three hundred people and I'm gonna talk about Bat Kid sort of in a now more polished version, because now mm-hmm. I will have told it three times and hope that they don't go Dude, you're making fun of a little kid with cancer when I'm not. I'm not making fun of a little kid with cancer. No, you're not. No. And tell me. I can tell you, but why don't you tell me? Yeah. What are you doing? I have no fucking idea. You're making fun of a little kid who survived cancer. That's and right. If this fucking kid can survive cancer, I think he can take an author that he's never heard of making a joke about he's it. He's five. He's never going to. I'll be dead before he's old enough to know who I was. That's, uh, I know. hope not. Well, that's nice. I, of you I'd to say. like to end this on a positive note. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I hope you live long enough, and that kid lives long enough to read your books and enjoy them. That's very nice. I'm, you know what my goal is now? We get nine innings of daytime baseball, AT and T Park, within next ten years. Nine okay. full innings. I like that. Yeah. My goal is still. Circus bus tour of the United States, you and I. Okay? Yeah, okay. I'm not going to allow myself that, you know, because I just got my wallet back, but I, I appreciate that. Okay. I'm just yeah. saying I'm involving you in a fantasy that I have. Yeah. And the only rule is no pooping on the bus. Or the vertical takeoff landing jumbo jet. Right. All right. All right so um, you want to bus a rock with a playa? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, normally, a lot of times it's a high five, but yeah, I feel no, like this, yeah, no, that, no, we should because we're yeah, you're yeah, nice. you're like hi hat cool. <laughs> no, no, you are. No, you and are. And a big shout out, thank you to the Asian ladies, both for they the were, vacuuming and their arguing during the podcast. It's awesome. I can't quite make that out. I thought you said take this. Well, there you have it. Just a couple of guys talking about what they did and how they do it. And and they're just hanging out in a hotel lobby while there was some vacuuming going on. You couldn't really hear the vacuuming. I think that was in part of the thing that I cut out. But there was some vacuuming. I alluded to it there at the end. And then there was was some really loud Chinese conversation. But uh, the mics didn't pick it up. So it's a triumph of technology. And uh, I should have never doubted technology. I knew it was going to be there for us, as it always has. Thank you for downloading this from the Internet onto your thing that you listen to while you're walking around or cranking it up on the treadmill. I hope you're done cranking it up. It was a little long this week, so that's a major cardio burn, really, for all of us. Not just you, but me as well. And uh, so let's get together and show off our six-packs. Ooh. That could go wrong in so many ways. I'm sorry that I asked you to do that. Don't. Let's let's just talk about them. Let's not show them to each other, okay? Um, anyway, that's the 100th episode. I hope you enjoyed your cake. I'm going to go get some more of my cake right now. <laughs> say goodbye to my six-pack and say hello to my cake. Uh, you guys have been great. Next week, more talking. Don't give up. There will be plenty of time to give up later. Believe me, I thought about giving up. I have, in the recent past, thought about giving up. And I've considered several several of the different options and ways of giving up. But I've ruled it out. I've ruled it out. And I'm here. I'm here for the duration. I'm recommitting that to myself. I'm going to be here until whatever thing that I didn't expect happens. And then I'm not. Meanwhile... I'm going to try and get all the cake and conversation I can handle. So uh, I hope that you'll do the same. Thanks. Bye-bye. This is the theme song. Jake this and yeah. that.